of ritualistic child abuse. The they would sacrifice animals. Does it make you want to hate murder, or does it make you want to do murder? Let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Welcome back to Rogue Darkness, the podcast that uncovers how the misinterpretations and misinformation surrounding witchcraft, the occult, and other beliefs have led many to do unthinkable crimes. From ritualistic killings and the demons that live in all of us, to exploration of the macabre and delving deep into the unknown, let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. I'm your host of The Grim and Gruesome, Raven. This episode is going to be a little bit different than usual, as the case I'll be discussing is anything but usual. The case we'll be going over involved a heavy dose of superstitious beliefs, several accounts of presumed paranormal sightings believed to be tied to numerous crimes, as well as the unfortunate loss of life. So with that said, let's go rogue and get right into today's chilling crime, the case of the Hammersmith Ghost Murder. A friend of mine once told me a story about fear. You know the feeling. Maybe there's a thunderstorm outside and the power is out. Or maybe the circumstances aren't so clear-cut. Maybe you've gone to bed, like my friend had. But the house that should be silent isn't. What was that noise? My friend strained to see in the dark. His heart rate rose. He kept hearing this noise, he said, like someone was trying to break in one of the windows. He got out of bed and crept to the closet, grabbed an aluminum baseball bat, and then quietly slipped from room to room, searching for an intruder. In the bedroom, he was certain there was no intruder because he would have seen him, so he then went to the kitchen, but there was no intruder there. Next, he searched the bathroom where there was a small window to the outside. He crept into the doorway and quietly flipped the light switch, ready to bludgeon whoever he might find. The light went on, but there was nobody there. That left only one room, the second bedroom. He slipped into the room and stood quietly in the dark, listening. He flipped on the bedroom light. The room was empty, but there was one place left to search. Just the kind of place an intruder would hide. The walk-in closet. My friend tiptoed forward, his heart pounding. The hair stood up on the back of his neck, and goosebumps rose up on his arms. He was sure somebody was in there. He grabbed the doorknob, flung the door open, and there was nobody in the closet. He told me his tension level was about a ten and a half, and if anybody had been in the closet, they would have received a vicious, adrenaline-fueled beating. What was the noise? It was the dumbest thing ever, but we'll get to that later. The point of this story is the moral line in the sand we've drawn regarding our own fear and the legal responsibility we have to behave like civilized humans. One textbook case is The Tale of the Hammersmith Ghost Murder and the legal precedent it set that persists today. So let's start off from the very beginning. In 1804, Lewis and Clark's expedition across North America was underway. The British briefly went to war with Spain in a skirmish between four British warships and four Spanish frigates. 
the vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel, and Hamilton later died. And in the Hammersmith section of London, people had been reporting encounters with a ghost. One man, named Thomas Groom, described his encounter with the ghost. I was going through the churchyard between 8 and 9 o'clock with my jacket under my arm and my hands in my pockets, you know. And when some person came from behind a tombstone, which there are four square in the yard behind me, caught me fast by the throat with both of its hands and held me fast. My fellow servant who was going on before Hearing me scuffling, asked what was the matter. Then whatever it was gave me a twist round, and I I tell you, I saw nothing. Thomas Croom was far from the only person to report an encounter with the supposed ghost, though. One source stated the specter seemed to flit along the fields adjacent to Black Lion Lane. Rumors began to spread, and the legend took form, likely becoming more embellished as time went on. The ghost was reportedly the vengeful spirit of a suicide victim. People said that the apparition would usually appear as the church bell struck at 1 a.m. In a guest blog for the Library of Congress, Claire Feichert Ahalt wrote, The ghost was reported to be large and white, and it instilled fear in most of the villagers as well as travelers passing through. It scared a driver of a wagon, pulled by eight horses and carrying 16 people, so much that the driver fled on foot, leaving the horses, wagon, and passengers at the scene. A pregnant woman, never named in the reports, crossed near the churchyard at around 10 o'clock in the evening and described a tall, white figure rising from the tombstones that grabbed her as she ran away, which caused her to faint. She was discovered hours later by neighbors who took her home and put her to bed. The woman later was reported to have died from fright due to the event. For all the reports of an encounter with a supernatural being, a ghost, one thing stuck out. They were physical encounters. The presumed ghost felt real, almost like a man. Soon, the public's initial state of fear transformed into that of anger. If the ghost could attack like a man, then he could be attacked like a man. We oftentimes forget, fear is closely linked with anger. When you jump out of the closet to scare your mom, Her fright is usually immediately followed by a smack on your arm or something similar. A close call in traffic can scare you. Then your fright turns to anger and you end up giving somebody the finger. Remember that scary clown phenomenon a few years back? People were angry. Some threatened to even use deadly force against any clown they came into contact with. It's as if we, as people of a civilized society, are saying for all to hear, this is where I draw the line. You don't have the right to frighten me. We don't like to be scared, at least not in ways that feel legitimately dangerous. And in Hammersmith, that fear led one man to take matters into his own hands and to take action against the presumed ghost. Francis Smith, a customs officer, had become frustrated with what he perceived as a lack of progress by the authorities in putting an end to the Hammersmith ghost attacks. With no authority other than his own inflated sense of duty, Smith began to stage patrols and watches during the late night and early morning hours on Hammersmith's dark streets. On January 3, 1804, a man named Thomas Millwood, a bricklayer, left his parents' home in the late evening. That night, he wore the same clothes he always did for work, all white from head to toe. 
According to a source, white linen trousers, a white flannel waistcoat, a white apron, and white shoes. Francis Smith and Thomas Millwood's paths crossed while on Black Lion Lane. Millwood's sister had just seen him off from their parents' house on Black Lion Lane and overheard the unfortunate altercation. The lane was reportedly dark and overgrown, only four meters wide, and she heard Francis Smith say, Damn you! Who are you? What are you? I'll shoot you! Then she heard the gunshot that killed her brother Thomas. Being the only one there at the same time as Thomas, Francis Smith was brought into custody and soon pleaded his case. Smith stated that he called twice to the figure but did not get a response, and the figure continued to proceed towards him, causing him so much fear that he opened fire. Once he discovered that he had shot a person, he ran for help and was reportedly upset but still compliant with the police when he was arrested. Thomas Millwood was taken to a nearby inn, but there was unfortunately no hope for him. He unfortunately succumbed to his injury and died. A local surgeon stated, A gunshot wound on the left side of the lower jaw with small shot, about size number four, one of which had penetrated the vertebrae of the neck and injured the spinal marrow. These postmortem findings showed that Smith had shot Millwood through the mouth and neck with his shotgun. Francis Smith stood trial for murder in London at a time where there was considerable sympathy for the man. The public believed he had been afraid and was acting in mere self-defense. The jury returned a verdict of guilty for manslaughter, but the panel of three judges refused to accept it because none of the circumstances of crime allowed for the reduction from murder to manslaughter. They were told to return to deliberations and come back with a verdict of guilty for murder or a total acquittal from want of evidence. The jury then returned with a final verdict and found Francis Smith guilty of murder. He was sentenced to death by hanging. In a show of mercy, Francis Smith was offered a pardon from the Crown, and his sentence was reduced from death down to one year of hard labor. Maybe it was the knowledge that a man had been killed and another had nearly been hanged that prompted John Graham to come forward with a confession. The elderly shoemaker had been donning white sheets and scaring people as revenge on his apprentices, who had been telling his grandchildren scary stories. Although there is no record of John Graham ever being punished for his deeds, and there will always be those who believe otherwise, most people believe that John Graham was the actual culprit behind the presumed Hammersmith ghost sightings. Things were quiet for a few years, then suddenly in 1824, the Hammersmith ghost staged a brief reappearance, this time with the added ability to breathe fire. But the ghost eventually faded from the minds of locals with the appearance of Springheeled Jack, another English urban legend. For nearly 200 years, the murder of Thomas Millwood in the Hammersmith ghost case left a legal hole in British law that there was no defense for someone who believes that their action, even violent action, is necessary and acts in good faith but is mistaken about the situation. In 1983, the case of R. versus Williams came before the British Court of Appeal. The judges finally clarified the law, holding that, in a case of self-defense, where self-defense or the prevention of crime is concerned, if the jury came to the conclusion that the defendant believed, or may have believed, that he was being attacked or that a crime was being committed, and that force was necessary to protect himself or to prevent the crime, then the prosecution has not proved their case. 
If, however, the defendant's alleged belief was mistaken, and if the mistake was an unreasonable one, that may be a peaceful reason for coming to the conclusion that the belief was not honestly held and should be rejected. Even if the jury comes to the conclusion that the mistake was an unreasonable one, if the defendant may genuinely have been laboring under it, he is entitled to rely upon it. That language clarified once and for all that injuries were allowed to consider a suspect's beliefs, even if they were mistaken, as long as the jury believed they were honestly held. Today, people with an interest in the paranormal and true crime alike meet up at the Black Lion Inn in Hammersmith and discuss this very case and the strange happenings that took place at the pub. The Black Lion Inn is the pub where Thomas Millwood was taken after he was shot by Francis Smith, the same place where he died nearly 200 years ago. The landlord of the inn, Kevin Sheehy, said, Would you have some strange goings on in the pub? The chef lives upstairs and has been woken up half a dozen times by someone speaking his name, but there was no one there. The lasting legacy of the Hammersmith ghost murder case has become something much larger than what it originally was. The tale of a ghost in white would have been an amusing local legend, later remembered only by locals and those with a specialized interest in history and folklore. But the legal ramifications of the crime that occurred lasted much longer than the mere legend itself. Remember that story that was told at the beginning of this episode? My friend who had heard the noise in his house at night? Well, after he searched the last hiding place, he began thinking he was going crazy, so he headed back to bed. As he walked past the kitchen, he heard the noise again and was able to zero in on it. He turned on the kitchen light and examined the sink. Just before he was going to go to bed, he dumped out a cup with some half-melted ice cubes in it. A chunk of ice, purely by chance, had landed on another dish in the sink in a weird way, so that as it melted, the cubes would drop into the bottom of the metal sink and make a noise. A noise that sounded just like a burglar attempting to break in. What he initially presumed to be a burglar trying to break into his home was simply just ice melting in his sink. The legacy of the Hammersmith ghost and the murder of Thomas Millwood is a lesson we can all take to heart. That, especially in public, we all have a responsibility to tame our adrenaline and behave like rational, sensible human beings. Taking matters into our own hands is rarely the answer. So that was the case of the initially presumed to be Hammersmith ghost murder, which ultimately ended up being much less paranormal than many had thought. When someone takes matters into their own hands, letting go of logic to try and face their fears, it can unfortunately sometimes lead to horrific and irreversible crimes, such as the murder of Thomas Millwood. I wanted to give a quick little shout out and thank you to all of my friends who helped make this episode possible. My good friends Casey, Brad, and Fidelis. Thank you so much for adding your special touch to this episode with your vocals and helping bring the story of the Hammersmith case to life. Definitely let me know your thoughts on this case, and if you have any questions regarding it or any other cases I've previously covered, feel free to contact me at roguedarknesspod at gmail.com. You can also always reach out to me directly on my Instagram or Twitter at rogue underscore darkness or on my website roguedarkness.com. As always, be sure to share the podcast with anyone who you think would like it, and also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Good Pods, or any other platform where you can leave a review to let other listeners know that you enjoy the show. And if you want some personalized shoutouts and other exclusives, definitely give my Patreon a look by visiting patreon.com slash roguedarkness. 
You can also check out my bonfire shop if you want to get your hands on some awesome merch. The link is down below. And with that said, that concludes this week's episode of Rogue Darkness. The darkness is all around us, and I can confidently say that reality truly is more terrifying than fiction. Until next time.